I was listening to a podcast by a guy named um, Penn Gillette, and he was speaking about the type of memory that he has. So I found it fascinating. I always just thought that everybody remembered in the same way. So, so he says that he has zero ability to remember visually. He says zero to, I mean, little to none. Um, he really struggles to remember visually. But he says he can remember audibly really, really well. Then he, they go on to talk about how some people are fact, have a factual memory. And I don't know how accurate all that information is, but I discovered that my memory is extremely visual. I've, like, if I think back to a moment in time, I can remember like little videos. I mean, I can remember the lighting, the setting, the mood even. And I want to share one of those memories with you this morning. I was in primary school and uh, all of our classmates were walking from one class to the next. It was either biology or um, science. I remember getting into the class, we all sat in our, at our tables in groups and um, the teacher started speaking to us about how to make um, sugar or salt crystals with a saturated solution. And I, and I found it fascinating. But in that moment, I remember a grasshopper just flying in or a locust flying into the classroom and this teacher just started freaking out, right? And then eventually someone caught the grasshopper, threw it out, and then she continued telling us how she had a legitimate fear for grasshoppers because when she was our age, at grade seven at that stage, her, her brother chucked one of these down her back and she developed a fear. But that, that's not actually what I want to talk about. Then from there, she gave us work. We all sat at our groups and, and I started doing work. One of my best friends, Sean, was sitting right behind me. I'm not going to tell you his surname, but Sean was sitting right behind me. And um, I kept hearing him make the most annoying sounds with his mouth, sort of hissing sound. And every time I heard this annoying hissing sound, I would turn around to try to catch to see what he's doing, and I just never was able to get him. Then throughout this whole lesson, I kept hearing the sound, and eventually, I figured out what was happening. So I heard the hissing sound, and then the next moment, my back felt wet. This kid was spitting on me for the whole lesson. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And I started feeling these emotions, right? But they weren't happy. I was like properly, properly angry at this guy. And I started making plans in my head. I was going to wreck this guy. I mean, I was going to go all Rambo on him after school. I mean, we all know the rule. We don't fight with someone inside the schoolyard. I don't know why. You have to do it outside the schoolyard for some reason, even though you can get in the same trouble outside as inside. But I was going to get him. For those of you who don't know who Rambo is, if you're young, <laughs> I was going to go all Avengers on him. Those of you who don't know what the Avengers is, that's because you're not young. <laughs> I had this plan, right, but I was properly raging. I mean, Sean had lost his parents, and um, his granddad, he lived with his granddad, and, and his granddad used to pick him up, I remember, in the blue Ford every day after school. I used to walk home with, with a bunch of friends, so I knew I had all the time in the world. Sean, on the other hand, had to go to his granddad, and then I remembered thinking to myself, Jacques, dude, you're going to get in trouble. doesn't matter that it's outside the school. You're wearing your school uniform. I wasn't scared of getting in trouble because I, wasn't a, I was going to be in a fight. It was a, it was a school uniform. Anyway, Jacques, you're going to get in trouble. I knew. And I said to myself, dude, this guy's granddad's going to pick him up. And I just probably thought I could take the granddad if I needed to as well. But I didn't care if his granddad would see this scenario, see this whole thing go down. I was going to get him. 
Because this guy had been spitting on my back and offended me for the whole of science slash bio lesson. Bell had rung. We had literally lost lesson. Bell had gone. This guy's joking with me. He talked to me. I wasn't listening. I was on a mission after school at the gate in front of his granddad with the blue Ford. I was going to go Rambo on him. And then for the first time in ages, rock up at the gate, and there's my dad. My father showed up that day to pick me up, to take me home. It was the coolest experience, but I remember that moment of like, okay, I can't fight Sean anymore. <laughs> my dad's here. It's okay if his granddad sees, but if my dad sees us, it's not going to be the best. And I pulled the plug on that whole thing. You'll be glad to know. And, and you're welcome, Sean, if you're watching. I think that was, honestly, to this day, I haven't been that angry at someone where I made a physical plan to get them, um, to wreck them. But I remember in that moment, after that whole thing had played, went down, I remember thinking, that what was happening to me? <laughs> I remember realizing that there must be some sort of unholy force at work. That was completely outside of who I was. That wasn't what I do. I don't go around picking fights with people. I've told you other stories about me fighting, but that's in the past, just so you know. But that wasn't me. That isn't me. I don't want to fight with people, but there was something pushing me, and I felt this, this evilness or evil inside of me. I knew it was evil. I knew I was going to get in trouble. I knew Sean was going to be crying for help. I knew Sean's granddad was going to be offended and horrified, but I didn't care. So we're still on our series called Citizens, and today we're going to be speaking about citizens in an unholy world. So I'll read you a passage in Titus 2 from verse 11. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself as a people for his own possession who is zealous for good works. Now, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, and in just four verses, he said a lot, okay? So I want to take some time looking at some of the things he'd said, just three of them. Um, so the first thing I want to highlight is in verse 11. So verse 11, Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. The grace of God, according to Paul, brings salvation to all people, not just some people, but to all people. Now the word salvation has become a very churchy word. Eh? It's become like a very Christian-easy type of word. But the question is, what do we need to be saved from? What do we need to be saved from? And why is this world we're living in unholy? I mean, those are great questions. Why was I responding or behaving that way when Sean offended me? So let's start by saying this. So the, I think the simple answer that most Christians know is we, we go right back to the book of Genesis, eh? And we could say that we inherited the sinful nature from Adam and Eve. And that's true. But I love I love how, how Paul puts it in Romans chapter one. So what Christians would say, if, if you had to say to them, look, what does it mean to be saved? Well, they would say to you, or I would say to you, I'm saved because this happened. 
And what this means is, I go back to the beginning, I was made in God's image, Adam and Eve was made in God's image. They sinned, they broke the relationship with God, and man from that moment on was no longer in the image of God because they tainted that image with sin. So the salvation then comes in when, when mankind gets reunited with God. So if I say I'm saved, what I'm saying is I once was condemned, God was gonna judge me, I was gonna receive judgment for my transgressions and because I inherited the sinful nature, but now I'm saved because I've received Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world, as my Lord and Savior. And how did this happen? So, so Jesus lived a pure life, that's what I would say if someone asked me, holy, without sin, and then he was killed and punished as a sinner. So he lived a holy life on my behalf. And then he was punished as a sinner because I'm a sinner. So he was punished on my behalf. So when I received Jesus, what I'm saying when I'm saved is that all my sin was on Jesus and he was punished on my behalf, even though I deserved to be crucified for my sin. And then what happened with the holiness of Jesus is it came on me. So now when I approach God, the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and I can actually now have a relationship with God. That's what it means to be saved. So when Paul is saying, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, that's what he's talking about. So if you're watching this message, what Paul is saying to you today is that God wants to give you salvation. But Paul unpacks that a little bit further in Romans chapter one. So the question is, so Adam and Eve sinned, why, why do we keep living Sin, and that's a great question. So, Paul takes it a step further in Romans chapter 1. So, Paul says that because of our idolatry, he's actually speaking to the Jews in this moment. He says, because of their idolatry, he's speaking about the Gentiles, which is you and me, by the way. Just real quick, if you want to understand anything about salvation, about grace, about God's love, you've got to read the book of Romans. Paul has this really amazing systematic approach to dealing with that. But he's speaking to the Jews. And he says, guys, these Gentiles, because of their idolatry, which means they're not worshiping God, they're worshiping idols or an image or themselves, or they've placed something else above God and not God. So God's not on the throne. Saying because of their idolatry, God has handed them over to their sinful nature. So they've disconnected from God because they choose to worship not God, but whatever they choose to put ahead of God. And then God says, well, if you don't wanna worship me, I hand you over to your sinful nature. And then he goes on, he gives a list. Please go read Romans chapter one. He gives a list of all the things that mankind is now guilty of. He says, because of your disconnect from God, this is your sinful nature and your desire now. That's why he teaches later on, we need salvation. Because the world is unholy, I am unholy, you are unholy, and fall short of the glory of God. There's this, Jesus shares this story in, in the book of Mark. It's about a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and, and he said, good teacher. He approaches Jesus and he falls down, he kneels and he, and he says, good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? So let's slow that down a bit. He's asking Jesus what he can do to inherit eternal life. And that's often the question we have, is what can we do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, if you wanna know what you can do, that's not actually how I give eternal life, by the way, but, but if you wanna know what you can do, here's what you need to do. 
keep the law, he says to this guy. Because he was a rich, young ruler, so he understood who he was, he understood that Jesus understood that he knew about the law. And he said, well, you know the laws, keep the law and you'll be okay. And then the rich young ruler says, well, I've kept all of them. I've kept all of the laws, he says. And then Jesus responds, yeah, you have, but you've missed one. And then he says, go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then follow me and you'll inherit eternal life. Just by the way, it was the follow me that he was missing the following Jesus that he was missing. But the disciples was watching this whole scenario go down and, and they said to themselves, who then, while they're watching this, because they saw this guy, right? He's young, probably has a one pack like me, fit, good looking, he's rich and he's a ruler. Plus now he claims that he's kept all the law. So he's like made it in terms of what the disciples saw. So this guy, I mean, if anyone made it, it was him. So looking at this guy, looking at what Jesus says to them, they then say, they were shocked. They were were amazed, Scripture says. And then they said, who then can be saved? If this guy didn't make it, who then can be saved? And that is the question. That's what I love about verse 11, because the grace of God brings salvation to all people. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. So we've started our new internship program and we've got this focus on leadership. And one of the principles we taught on on the first week that we started the program was was that leaders forfeit the right to excuses. And and I spoke about how leaders find a way to win. So I gave them an instruction. I said, guys, I need you to draw up uh, your schedule for me and email it to me before the end of this week. So the latest Sunday. And... um, and then some of them did, some of them didn't. It was a cool conversation after that. But one of the guys sent me his schedule. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Thanks, Mklingi is his name, Mklingi Mbata. And I got this thing, and it was cool. And I found out the complete story after that. So, so Mklingi didn't have a computer with him at that stage. So I'd given them this instruction, not knowing that they don't actually have computers because all of the computers had gone to the IT guy. So they, they didn't have computers. So Mklingi then, instead of saying, I don't have a computer, said, I was going to find a way to win. So what he did was on his day off, he went home to go speak to his sister who had a computer. He took her computer, brought it back to church in the intern house just here in Westville. And then he, he, he emailed me off his um, sister's computer. Also, they didn't have internet at that stage, so he had to find a way to get internet running. And then also he says, Jacques, I didn't know your email address, but I wasn't going to bug you to ask you what your email address was. I was gonna find a way to win, so I just quickly went onto the website, check your email address, and I found a way to win. And this guy was just absolutely relentless. There was no way that he was gonna give up on making this thing happen. There was just absolutely no way. He had chosen to do it, regardless of the lack of resources. It cost him money <laughs> to go home and to come back. And then later on, his sister had to come and collect the laptop cost him money, but he found a way to win. He was not going to give up, right? God, God, creator of the universe, recognizes the fact that we're living in an unholy world and that we are sinful, but there's no way that your creator will just leave you to try and make it work, to try and find a way to save yourself. God himself 
found a way to win. And God himself said, look, I wanna reconcile you back to me. To do that, I'm gonna give you my son, Jesus Christ, to take your place on the cross. So Jesus then dies and his blood cleanses us. Scripture says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, gone. God says, I never think about it again because of that moment Jesus died on the cross. God made a way. He found a way to win. He's not just gonna leave us in this mess. That everything in his power. And then he doesn't just leave it there. Then he says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit because some of you are not gonna receive my message and I will send the Holy Spirit to convict you of your need for a, self, for a savior and your need for salvation. So he gives us this Holy Spirit to help us realize we need Jesus. And then once we receive Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit who then becomes our teacher and our guide. So he doesn't just leave us. He does everything in his power to help us receive Christ so that we then can be saved and live a holy life here on earth as citizens of heaven. That's verse 11. His grace Grace appeared to bring salvation to all people. Verse 12 says that the grace of God is straining us, straining us to renounce unholiness and worldly passions. The grace of God is straining us to renounce unholiness and worldly passions. I just want to pause there real quick. When I became a Christian, I became Christian in high school. Um, Gave my life to Jesus one night in my room, and then I needed to find a church. I believe that's what Christians did. So you had to go to church, and I went to several different churches. And I didn't look very hard, I must be honest. Just the first church I went to was, was dead. They were busy closing it down, actually. And they had like this meeting on that day on how they're going to close it down and merge with another church. Second church I went to, I was like, yep, this is it. I'm going to serve you. And then I was taught this message that Jesus saves you, he gets you into heaven, but you better make sure you'll keep yourself in heaven. Because Jesus will save you, and then from there, you've got you've to perform like on another level. Because if you don't, if you step out of line, you're out. You're going to burn in the pits of hell forever was the message. You better be perfect. It was this message that the rich young ruler had. What can I do? I better be perfect because if I'm not perfect, I'm not gonna make it. I'm gonna spend all eternity separated from God. And that really messed me up in my theology. Because Jesus saves me, then he leaves me, and then it's all on me. And I really struggled. And then one day I found this verse in, in Romans chapter five. And please don't leave the building when, when I read it to you. Or if you're watching online, please continue watching. It says this. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And when I read this passage, something opened up in my mind. What Paul was teaching on there was, he was giving an insight on, on the depth and the extravagance of the love of God. He's saying, guys, the law, he says the law was given so that sin trespass, the sin may increase. He's not saying you're going to sin more because of the law. What he's saying is the law is perfect like God. And what the law does is it helps you realize that you are unqualified. You can never save yourself. You are always going to be guilty to show you how holy God is. 
But then the next verse, and I remember having conversations with some of my pastor friends. I, I actually couldn't teach on this, on this verse at that stage. I really struggled. Because when I had conversations with some of my pastor friends, they would say, I would go to the second part of this verse, which says, but where sin increased, the more you sin, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And I'd say, guys, help me understand what this means, because I want to be able to teach God's love and God's grace. And what they would say to me is, well, Jacques, if you teach that, you're speaking about hyper-grace. You're just saying now that Paul has given you a license to sin, and you can just do whatever you want, and that'll be okay. And I knew in my heart that wasn't what I was saying. I know for a fact that's not what Paul was saying. And I was like, dude, this isn't the Bible, by the way. I think maybe you need to figure it out before you make claims like that. But I couldn't actually teach on this verse because I forgot to read the next verse in chapter six, verse one, where Paul says, what shall I say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? <laughs> That's the question. Should I continue sinning so that there be more, so that there be more grace? By no means, Paul says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then when I found that verse, I was like, that's amazing. So Paul is saying, he's not saying we should continue living in sin. But I still couldn't teach on that verse because it still said that the more I mess up, the more God shows me grace. And I struggled, struggled, struggled to teach on it until I found Titus chapter 2. I just read it to you. Verse 12 says this. This is what grace does. Grace doesn't give you a license to sin. It does this though. Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness. The message of grace, according to Titus, Paul, according to Paul, also wrote the book of Romans, grace trains you and I to live holy. Does not give you a license to sin. And if the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus makes you think that you should now increase your levels of sin, you've missed the message of the gospel. Just by the way, the word gospel means good news, yes, but actually it means it's too good to be true. What Jesus did for us is too good to be true. And when we receive his grace and understand, understand that we are flawed, and we recognize that we actually are unqualified, then this message of grace helps us understand that I no longer need to sin. Let me give you an example. You may have heard the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders bring her to Jesus with stones ready to kill her. Ready to kill her. Because they said the law said so. Bring it to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, if you've sinned, you can, if, you, if you are free from sin, you can throw the first stone. If you are sinless right now and you don't deserve the same punishment, you can throw the first stone. And then Scripture says that all of them threw their stones down and walked away. And Jesus says to this lady, look, your accusers are gone. Go and sin no more. She had the law, right? She knew the rule was to not commit adultery, just like the man who she committed it with, by the way. They both knew, but the law in itself wasn't strong enough to convict her and to change her and to prevent her from sinning. The grace that Jesus showed her in that moment, the grace that she received in that moment, she didn't receive punishment, the grace that Jesus showed her in that moment helped her to not live unholy again. That's why Paul says, that grace is training us to renounce all ungodliness. Let me ask you a question. Scripture says we need to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we would all probably say, yeah, I'll do that. So if I say, do you think God should show you grace? You would probably say yes. And, I, and if I say to you, do you think God should show sinners grace? 
You'd probably say yes until I start naming specific sinners, eh? What kind of sinner makes you feel uncomfortable in your heart? (laughs) Because you should be showing that person the same grace that Jesus shows you. You should be reaching out to those people the same way Jesus has reached out to you. There's this really cool scripture in in Mark uh, chapter 18. It basically teaches believers how to deal with someone if if someone's offended me. So Sean, who offended me, I should have gone to him and said, Sean, you've offended me. And then Sean doesn't listen after that. Then scripture says, then I should take him to the, I should get two or three witnesses. So I'll get, I'll get Anton and Clayton and, and Michael as witnesses. Sean, I've got these guys as witnesses. Stop spitting on my back, sir. If he still doesn't listen, Scripture says, then take him to the church, right? And then the Scripture says that if he still doesn't listen, even after you've taken him to the church, treat him. I hope this is going to be a defining moment for you as it was for me. Treat him like a pagan or a tax collector. Some translations say, treat him now like a sinner. Now my question to you is, what does that verse do for you in your heart? If scripture says, treat him like a sinner, what, is, what do you think that means? How then should you treat that person? How you should treat him is as someone who Jesus died for on the cross, who is just as in need of a savior as you are who needs God's grace and love and needs to be evangelized. We don't treat them like dirt because we ourselves are dirt. According to Scripture, all of our good works are like filthy rags to God. So there's no good thing we can do to make us appear better than we are. We are all lost and in need of a Savior. Now my question is, will you show the same grace that God has shown you Thirdly, verse 14 says this. It says that because we are people of Christ, or Christ's people, or children of God, we should be zealous. We should be zealous for good works. Okay? Now I want to pause there because the zealous for good works, people taught me that that's how you receive salvation. We are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. Saved for good works. Those are two different things. And before I wrap up this message, I want to to share some of my observation regarding the local church. I've come to realize over the last 15, 16 years that if the local church, I've identified like four elements, and it's not an exhaustive list, but if the local church neglects these four areas, there's no doubt for me in my mind that it'll either die eventually or be extremely unhealthy. So those four things is reach. If the local church stops reaching those who are far from Christ, it will eventually die. If we stop reaching those who are far from Christ, the local church will eventually shrink and shrink until it dies one day. So reach. If the local church stops discipling people, We're going to have a church full of baby Christians, and I've got three kids at home, and babies cry for everything. 
They are very self-absorbed and they moan about everything. A church that is full of undiscipled believers are gonna be very disgruntled and unhappy about everything. The church needs to care for its people. Church that stops caring stops being the hands and the feet of Christ. We need to keep caring. And lastly, a church who stops serving is a church who's going to be frustrated. We're going to be frustrated. Can I just quickly highlight this point? That the local church is actually just a building. <laughs> this is just a building. You are the church. And when you stop reaching, the church will stop growing. When you, are st- when you stop being discipled, now you might say, Jacques, I am discipled. I've been sitting in this church for 107 years and I am discipled. I know all the things. In fact, I know John 3.16. I can quote it for you if you, have, if you ask me to. Well, are you discipling people then? Because if you're a mature disciple, you should be discipling people. Are you caring for people? You, you, you say that you're discipled. Are we caring for people? I've been cared for by this church for many years. My question is, are you caring for those around you in your community? My question is, are you serving? Are you doing the good works that Jesus says we should be zealous for today? Are you doing the good works that Jesus says we should be zealous for today? I'm gonna wrap this message up. The band can come forward so long if you want to. In short, we are only able... We are only able to be citizens of heaven because of the grace of God. That's it. We're only able to live in this unholy world as citizens of heaven because of Christ Jesus. We are able to live holy lives in this unholy world because the grace of God trains you how to do that. And if you are frustrated as a believer in this area, if you are feeling that you're not growing and you're not changing and you're not being transformed, Allow the grace of God to train you how to live holy. And lastly, now let's choose. Let's choose to be zealous for good works that Christ has prepared for us in advance to do. Let's choose to be zealous if you're not zealous anymore. I'm gonna wrap up the service and um, I'm gonna ask the band if, you, if you're ready. I'm um, just to, I like music in the background. I know some of you don't. <laughs> you didn't have music in the background last week, so it's my turn this week, okay? Um, I just want to pray for you. If you're sitting in the building or if you're sitting at home and watching me on the screen, I want to pray for you. Maybe that first part of that verse is speaking to you right now. Maybe God is saying that you need salvation. You've not surrendered your life to me yet. I want to give you an opportunity to do that now in this building and, and at home. You know that you are far from Christ. What are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Why do you keep postponing this moment? Is it, because it, is it because you're waiting that you'd be good enough one day? You'll never be good enough. I'm not good enough. Mother Teresa is not good enough. The disciples were not good enough. You'll never be good enough, ever. The message of the gospel is that you don't need to be good enough. Jesus will forgive you and cleanse you. So if you wanna surrender your life to Jesus right now, won't you do so? Just in your heart, say, God, here I am. You know that I'm imperfect, but I need your grace. I give my life to you. Holy Spirit, come dwell in me and guide me and teach me. I want to be a follower of Christ who contributes and doesn't only consume. I pray for those of you 
we might feel like you're not zealous anymore. It's the thing. There was a phase in my life where I was super pumped, super passionate, super zealous. And then it went away as I matured in my faith. For some reason, difficult to explain why. But if that's you today, Christ is calling you to reach. Christ is calling you to be a disciple maker. He's calling you to care for those who are in need. He's calling you to serve. And be zealous about those good works that He prepared for you in advance to do. Whether you're young or old, whether you're young or old, you still have a purpose. So God, I wanna pray for your bride right now. You know in our hearts that that we have, we're not as passionate as we used to be, but we recognize that we need to be zealous, especially now where the world is dying. People are not spending eternity with you because I am not reaching, because I am not caring, because I am not discipling. I choose right now to be zealous. I choose right now to be passionate once again. I choose to take a step forward and obey you. And I pray for those who feel the same, that they would stand up right now in their hearts and say, I choose to be zealous, to do good works that Jesus has called me for. In Jesus' name, amen.